0: Welcome to the Breast of Everything podcast, your trusted resource for breast health information, support, and encouragement. Your host today is Dr. Lindsay Gold of Comprehensive Breast Care. Welcome. Welcome to the Breast of Everything podcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Lindsay Gold of Comprehensive Breast Care. Today, I will be talking with breast cancer navigator, Marsha Schmidt. Marsha and I have known each other personally for Boy, well over a decade now, and I know that, and she knows. When a woman finds out that she has breast cancer, in most cases, she needs somebody to um, hold her hand or or guide her through this unanticipated and often frightening journey into the unknown. Women face a confusing maze of questions. Often, become overwhelmed uh, very quickly. As physicians, we do our best to provide as much support and information as possible, but often we rely on a breast cancer navigator to fill in the gap for us, to make sure patients have the resources they need throughout their entire cancer journey. A breast cancer navigator literally helps patients navigate through the seemingly endless barrage of medical appointments, tests, and treatments. They provide an invaluable service for our patients During this podcast, Marsha will talk about her role as a breast cancer navigator and the services she offers. Marsha has been a registered nurse for 35 years. She has served as a breast cancer navigator for Hurley Hospital in Flint, Michigan, since 2008, working to support women through their breast cancer journey. She knows from experience what that journey is all about because Marsha is a 12-year breast cancer survivor. Welcome, Marsha. So happy to have you on the podcast today.
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: So, wow, there's going to be a lot we can talk about, but if you don't mind, um, would you mind sharing your own personal story about
1: breast cancer with our listeners? Sure. Um, that was kind of, I, I actually started as a breast cancer navigator in 2008. And ironically, in 2009, it was just a little over a year after I started, I was convinced to go to regional medical imaging where I might get the very best mammogram ever. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went and did the mammogram. And it wasn't uh, too long after that, they suggested maybe a little more in-depth imaging Uh, There was a spot that looked suspicious. And so I did at the time. It was kind of an interesting BSGI, something that isn't available now. But the screening mammogram has kind of taken its place. But it gave a little more in-depth view of what was happening in a very dense breast. And right away, my breast tissue just lit up like a Christmas tree. And it wasn't um, within moments that the doctor came in and said, we really need to do an MRI and a biopsy. And just from looking at the films and after having sat in tumor boards for over a year, I knew right that moment that I had breast cancer. I was not Mm -hmm. the slightest bit surprised, but shocked, overwhelmed, almost, you know, like I took off my navigator hat And immediately became a patient and um, things moved very, very quickly as we attempted to diagnose. And um, it was really because I had been a navigator for a year, I realized that I, too, would be able to get on the other side of this. But had Mm -hmm. I not experienced the previous year and leading support groups and working with women, I can't imagine if I wouldn't have had that platform ahead of time just stepping in blindly into um, being a breast cancer patient. You know, you go from life as you knew it to all of a sudden um, you just were hit over the head with something that just almost seems unfathomable, you know. So I enlisted the support of some of my nursing friends to go to appointments with me because Mm -hmm. it is overwhelming, you know, and even with all of my experience and um, being a nurse, it's hard to process and take in. And, you know, so that's mm-hmm. where I started. As a So in case there
0: um, are people listening to the podcast who aren't familiar with the role of um, a navigator, um, can you talk about some of the uh, services and resources you provide and what your role is in the patient's journey?
1: Sure. Navigators are becoming much, much more popular in cancer centers, and they enter at different um, points in people's care, and facilities use navigators differently. But the primary role of a navigator is to step in, whether it's at the diagnosis or in chemo, radiation, surgery. I enter at the beginning of a diagnosis and help the patient understand all the information after they sit with the doctor. Sometimes they heard you have cancer, you need surgery, you need chemo. They get bits and pieces, but understanding what their tumor um, type is, the extent of the disease, what why they would qualify for different types of treatment, those things all are easier understood sometimes after they've had a little minute to walk away from their first visit with the doctor and have someone sit with them in their pathology report and just help them understand in in another setting when they've had time to process that initial diagnosis. Um, And so, My role is to educate. I advocate for women who, you know, if women don't have insurance or men sometimes get breast cancer, Mm -hmm. I have people enter at a point where they don't have any health insurance and they have a palpable mass and they don't know what to do. So I might be the very first step in helping get insurance, getting imaging, biopsy, and then get them carefully placed in the hands of a physician to take the next steps. Navigators can help with you know, finding someone, find a post-op bra or mm-hmm. um, there's just, honestly, I don't think in any given day there is anything that I haven't helped navigate. You know, I have dental issues, you know, that becomes important if someone's in chemotherapy. Right. So trying to help the patients find the necessary resources, the support they need, the emotional comfort and support. Maybe how do I tell my children? When should I tell my children? How do I break the news to family? You know, um, so there's so many different levels that a navigator can play in a woman's life and along that journey to help just be a support
0: absolutely I mean from the clinician's perspective i I can't imagine um, what it would be like for women who are being treated um, by a specialist or more likely not by a specialist that. Um, is not providing uh, resources and all of that information. I, I don't know. I don't know what they would do. So um, I've been known to say that <laughs> if you are being treated in a facility that does not offer navigational services, you should probably go to another facility. Because um, I mean, really, to me, it's an absolute necessary part of a person's journey. It's a hundred percent needed to have those resources.
1: I like agree. That. I tell women all the time, I'm a part of your care team. So while you'll have a surgical oncologist, medical mm-hmm. oncologist, possibly a radiation oncologist, I'm also an important part of that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I always tell women, we're going to develop a friendship now because... Yeah. I want you to feel like you can lean on me. You know, if your family doesn't get how you're feeling, I will always be able to understand how you're feeling, having walked in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm a safe place. You know, if you feel like, oh, I don't want my family to know I'm struggling. I'm a safe person to share that struggle with. And I can kind of dust them off and, um, you know, get them back on their way and, you know, hopefully offer support. And right. um, just information, you know, be that extra person in the team.
0: Yes. And um, so, from a navigator's perspective, um, I, I would think that the majority of people who are navigators um, begin as nurses, but perhaps that's, is that always the case? Or what is the sort no. certi- is there a certification process? How mm-hmm. does one become a navigator?
1: You know, I understand there are some lay navigators that American Cancer Society has offered. I'm mm-hmm. not entirely certain the capacity, but they might be able to help point and direct and and lead people to necessary resources. But in most institutions, they do hire a registered nurse right. who is capable of understanding. Like I see my patients post-operatively, I go mm-hmm. over green care. I provide, you know, resources at the time of surgery, such as pillows, camisoles, squeeze mm-hmm. balls, you know, to help them do arm exercises, help them understand the possibility of developing lymphedema or yeah. you know, why those post-op exercises are and getting up, moving, not overdoing it, but also not just sitting still for, you know, seven to ten days. We don't want you to develop pneumonia or blood clots. So I do a lot of nursing education alongside of um, just helping them cope with the whole diagnosis and and information.
0: Absolutely. Um, And even among nurses, um, there's various oncology certifications and um, a lot of times people don't think of nurses as specializing per se, um, but they do, right? Yeah. And, and N- nurses and I have their own specialties.
1: They do. And I went for a special um, CBCN certified breast care navigator. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a very extensive certification to do this particular role. And it's it's uh, very timely. You know, it's much like your board certification. Right. Um for a nurse, you know, where you go and you specialize in that area so that you have the necessary information and resources and understanding of how to properly navigate someone.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, you do a lot more, obviously, than provide, you know, just quote unquote breast cancer navigation services. Like like you said, y- you form a friendship um, with these ladies. So, um, how does your services, I mean, can they officially end per se, or do you, do you maintain some long-term relationships with these um, with your patients?
1: I myself. I kind of navigate them to a level of wellness, and they always know they can call me back. I kind of do a closure phone call once they've completed treatment, but I always tell them I love to hear good news, Mm -hmm. so if you have a normal mammogram, never hesitate to call me back if you just want to let me know you're doing well, but I also work so closely with the women that if I do um, have a patient who has metastatic disease and it's more extensive, I will also be with patients in end-of-life care as well. I do a lot of advanced care planning. I encourage Mm -hmm. people at the time of diagnosis that they should prepare for their ending. I always say we have to do a little homework, and that's making sure you have somebody who can help represent you. If you ever got to a point, and I said that could be 20 years, 30 years, it could be a month from now. Who knows You know where our life's going to go, but everybody should have a person to advocate for them. So I do advanced care planning, but I build a relationship with women with metastatic disease, and I always encourage them to trust me to be their friend, that should they get to a point where there is no longer a lot of options in terms of helping take them to a level of wellness, that they would trust me to help them have a peaceful, serene ending. And so I try to develop that relationship so people know that when we get to that point, they can trust me when I come in and I say, you know, we've really exhausted all of our treatment options. It's time to start thinking about hospice and comfort care. And um, I work very Mm -hmm. closely. I've had many, many patients, you know, tell me that they were tired and it was time. And and then to help the family understand that, yes. you know, patient isn't giving up and they haven't stopped trying, but that the disease has taken over and that, you know, there's little more medicine can possibly do to help them. And so I, in my setting, have the ability to work with women, you know, in all the happy times, but I can also be there at the end and create a happy ending as well.
0: Which is hard. Yeah. You know, when I first started practice, I was in my mind, sometimes critical, if you will, uh, of um, sometimes my medical oncology colleagues who you, I would have thought you guys should be really good at death and dying and doing that. But, but in the end, just like, just like me as a surgeon, I mean, you, sometimes you just don't have Time in the office mm-hmm. to have these type of conversations that require um, certain settings, and they require patience, um, and they require you know quiet. I mean, you just you just don't have time to to do it, and sometimes to deliver the news, especially end of life discussions. You know, basically choosing how you want to die, right? right. And like you say, communicating with the family that um, you know. They want their loved one around forever, no matter what, but the patient is tired. Um, Those are so important. And, you know, the doctor doesn't often have the time to do that. So I can't imagine what women would do if they didn't have um, somebody like you, a
1: navigator, to, to go to. And, and I do think it's important. I think that patients develop a good relationship with their physician. But like you say, you're seeing mm-hmm. patients in and out, you're in the operating room, um, having that time. And a lot of times what has allowed me to develop that relationship is that they may have been admitted multiple times mm-hmm. for various dis- Um, complications, you know, from their cancer. And so over a period of time, I've really gotten to know people better and better for longer periods of time. And through my role and because I am based in the hospital setting, it gives me an opportunity to be able to be that person um, for an individual should they come to that position or point in time where they need that relationship to help get get to the end safely, I always say.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, We certainly
1: Way more patients that do well. I don't want that to be a focus, yes, of course. You know, but, but these are important? important issues for sure. For yeah. sure. I'm sure the hospital
0: or health systems, um, you know, really rely on uh, navigators for a lot of other things other than direct patient care. So, for example, um, fundraising activities, other community initiatives. Um, what kind
1: of projects have you been um, involved with? You know, I have been blessed to be able to go out in the community and churches and go and educate women. We've done things alongside of the American Cancer Society, creating resources, but At Hurley Medical Center, where I work, we determined early on that having a financial resource for our patient was going to be imperative to the success of them completing treatment. And most facilities try to create that type of a situation because patients may have to drive distances. They may have to go day after day after day. And so having gas cards, grocery cards, I have Mm -hmm. patients who have to stop work, you know, young women who are a significant part of the Monthly nut, shall we say, all of a sudden find themselves in a situation where if they can't work for a significant period of time, their contribution to the uh, family is deficient. And so, trying to supplement that. So, part of my role, I kind of say I put my social work hat on at that point, Mm -hmm. try to help determine um, financial stressors. And we don't want people focusing on that. We want them focusing on their level of wellness and getting better so that they can return to life as they knew it. So, I do a financial assessment, and I help determine what we can help do to help carry those patients through those difficult times, and make sure they have the resources financially, um, as well as other areas, to get through that. You know, some people might just need a post-op bra, some people might need their rent or mortgage paid, or mm-hmm. their going to have a shut off notice. Can you imagine trying to go through cancer treatment without running water or heat or, um, those types of things? And, and, you know, we've had some difficult, challenging years behind and and ahead of us, you know, where people haven't been able to work regularly and maybe the spouse hasn't either. So, um, our community has been so incredibly generous, and we have a tremendous number of community um, fundraisers. We call them our community partners, mm-hmm. um, along with community fundraisers. So I do a lot, a lot of fundraising. I work closely with our community to help create that. You know,
0: I, f- I find in talking to people, just people in general, um, many people are very surprised to find out how little bit of the dollar from the huge national organizations, how little bit of that money um, trickles down to the community level, right? (laughs) So, you know, there's, I won't mention any particular (laughs) organizations because they are all doing well and they're doing their own things. But the point is, you know, you're raising money to do this walk and to do that. And from national organizations, and you're like, well, I I mean, I don't understand. I I raised, you know, $5,000 to do that. Where where is this money? And very, very little of it will trickle down to the individual um, patient at the community level. So what you're describing is so, so, so important. It's basically where Hospitals, health
1: systems get, get their resources to do this right. for patients, right? Yes. And 100% of the funds that we raise or that are donated to our foundation fund, we call it our Breast Cancer Navigation Fund. We also mm-hmm. have a general cancer fund for our other cancer uh, patients. But 100% of that money is used for patients' benefits. You know, if, if they you know, I've paid taxes on a home because they were going to lose their home. Well, mm-hmm. people can't be successful in completing treatment if they don't have a place to stay. So we have, you know, we look at the area of need and and we also collaborate with other um, funds that are available in the community. But 100% of what we raise goes directly to impact patients
0: positively.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, which is um, definitely a big deal. So, um are there any final messages that you would want to share with the audience um, to let think- them know if they're looking for more information, how they might go about doing it? Any
1: advice? you know what, if patients find out or feel a lump or a bump, I always tell people give something two weeks unless it's, you know, protruding out of your skin. But if you have something that's abnormal, two weeks is a reasonable amount of time to determine if this is something that's going to become something or it up and disappears. But they Mm -hmm. should seek out and they can always call their hospitals. They can ask, do they have a navigation program? And if so, connect them to that program. Because a lot of times, you know, in my particular, role, I can get the ball rolling and help get people streamlined for insurance if they don't have that or get them immediately into a physician's office. So I would like patients to not be immobilized by fear or be afraid that I felt something. I would rather have them call me. We can either go rule something in or rule it out, but don't Mm -hmm. let fear immobilize you. And by all means, call your hospital system and ask if they have a navigator. And if you don't get an answer there, you might call another hospital system, even if that's not where you normally go, because the navigator at a different hospital might still be able to direct you and your insurance and where they should begin or go. And so I think that's an important um, piece for people to Um, pursue. And I think think the important thing is to realize the sooner you get treatment, the better your outcome will be. It's when you Mm -hmm. leave and neglect things for prolonged periods that it creates a bigger challenge for a more favorable outcome and a long-term survival advantage. So, you know, you want to get on top of things just as quickly as you can and don't let not having insurance become your stopping point. You know, make sure you pick up the phone, you call, you know, hospitals and find out where you can go, because oftentimes there are resources that can actually help people. And, and, you know, you may not be aware of it, but there are people inside of hospitals that can help plug those holes for you and patch the gaps.
0: Absolutely. And if somebody is being treated at a facility that does not have navigation services, um, great advice to maybe, you know call another facility, cross town, wherever, because you're willing to drive a half hour for a good restaurant. You, you ought to be willing to drive um, a half hour, right, for care that can make the difference between life and death or a good experience and a bad experience, right? Correct. I so, think <laughs> yeah, sometimes we have to help people um see the forest through the trees like that. But um thank you so much Marsha for joining me and sharing so much valuable information and for sharing your story for patients and their families. I always enjoy talking to you. Oh, likewise, it was my pleasure. So, everybody, thank you for listening to the Breast of Everything podcast. I am your host Dr. Lindsey Gold of Comprehensive Breast Care. We wanna hear from you. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, we welcome your suggestions. You can send them to compbreastcare.com. That's C-O-M-P-B-R-E-A-S-T-C-A-R-E.com. Till next time. You've been listening to the Breast of Everything podcast with your host and board certified breast surgeon, Dr. Lindsay Gold of Comprehensive Breast Care. If you have a subject you would like the surgeons to discuss, please email your suggestions online at compbreastcare.com. That's C-O-M-P-B-R-E-A-S-T-C-A-R-E.com. The doctors want to hear from you. The views, thoughts, and opinions shared in this podcast are intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment, or care from your physician or healthcare
1: provider. Always consult your healthcare provider first.